0: Good morning, church. Everybody well? I just had like one of these like bad pastor moments. I thought my notes were up here. You probably saw me. I was probably a distraction. So I walk up here thinking my Bible and notes were here. They were in the back. So then I had to walk in the back to get them because I kind of need those, right? (laughs) So um, it's so good to see you. If this is your first time, uh, welcome. My name is Dustin. I'm the teaching pastor here. And man, what a great, great weekend. College football started, right? Did your team win? Hopefully it won. If you're a Clemson fan, they play the powerhouse Georgia Tech tomorrow um so you got a lot to worry about uh engineers they're good at books not football um just kidding if you're an engineer I'm sorry all right um you're like I'm never coming to this church again but uh man it's so good uh to see you it's been a great great weekend hope that you have great plans either today or tomorrow to just rest and relax eat some good food that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna try to sleep in and eat four hamburgers or something I don't know but uh Man, it's so good to be here. Uh, I miss you guys. Last week, I was downtown um, at that campus, and I know Wayne was here. And of course, me not being here, we had our biggest attended uh, services in the history of Five Forks. We had 374 attend last week, which is crazy. Wayne's like, well, yeah, you can clap. Uh, Wayne's like, it's because I was preaching, and I said, Wayne... No, it wasn't. Okay, I was like, no, I just I was like, Wayne, we don't announce who's preaching, okay? And uh, but truth be told, it is not about me or Wayne or any of our teaching pastors. It's just awesome to see what God is doing. Uh, through our church, through you guys, the body of Christ, and just thankful that we are reaching the community and connecting people with Jesus because he's the one that changes lives. And that's why we gather. We gather and we worship. We dig into his word um, together with that. And then another celebration type thing is I really do believe, uh, and maybe I'm just selfish and that's okay, I'll I'll own it, is uh, next weekend, uh, I really think that we'll blow that number out of the water. I'm praying selfishly for 400 next Sunday. Um, we have baptism Sunday next week. And right now we have eight people signed up to be baptized. So we're breaking that record. I think the most was five about a year ago. And it's just awesome. And of those eight, two are kids and six are adults. And so it's just cool to see what God is doing in the life of our church, and the life of others. And that's why we do what we do. You know, not we're not here to entertain. We're not here to uh, just, you know, tickle the ears as scripture would say, um, but we are here because, man, we believe that God is a God of life transformation, and so that's we, we get to celebrate um, that. Um, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we're walking through this series called Back to Basics, and we're using this, this historical document that's been around since the second century, um, known as the Apostles' Creed. Now, we're not preaching the creed, but we're using it as a framework because it does an incredible job of the early church and early believers to say, hey, here are the core truths, the core beliefs of Christianity. And you know this, we've been saying this every single week, that throughout history, throughout time, whether it's culture, whether it's politics, whether it's a bunch of crazy people, that oftentimes the gospel or the the message of Jesus can take on different forms that unfortunately people Uh, pick and choose or they add to it and so a lot of times what we hear is different than what is in scripture and we kind of off of that kind of base our picture of who god is who jesus is what the whole gospel is really about and so we've been walking through this and saying okay what are the core pillars of the christian faith there's got to be more than just go to church be a good person and sing some songs right Um, So what are they? And really, as a framework, the the creed does a great job of this because we really see at the beginning, it identifies and really um, answers the question, who is God and who is Jesus? We see at the very beginning of the creed that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator and maker of heaven and earth. And so we see who God is, that he is sovereign, he is in control, he is the maker, creator of all things, Genesis 1. So we see that. Then we see who Jesus is, that Jesus is his only son. And so we talked about this the second week, that not only is he God's son, but he's also God, um, he's the son of God and God the son, meaning that he is fully man and fully God incarnate on this earth. And so it has these huge implications because how we view God directs everything about us. And so it's so, so important for us to understand who he is. And then last week, we kind of pivoted a little bit to not only who God is, but what did he do? And so we looked at the statement in the creed about Jesus dying, or being crucified, dying, and being buried. And, and so today we continue that. And we continue about what did Jesus um, do? What did, he, what did he accomplish? All those different things. And so it's a little bit different framework for the message this morning we're going to look at these three kind of statements. This is what Jesus did. This is what he is doing. And this is what he will do one day. And so we're going to walk through that. But before we do, I'm going to read the creed. And um, you can say it out loud if you want. I don't want to force you. Um, if you're like, this is kind of weirding me out. You didn't grow up liturgical. You know, I, I get it. We don't believe in incantations uh, at church saying uh, or meaning that you say these things and It brings power to you or anything like that. I do think it's a cool connection with the early church and the early believers and throughout the history of time that we're connecting with these things. If you feel out of place, what I would say if we're reading this out loud, just say watermelon, like to yourself. Did you ever get watermelon, watermelon? So it looks like you're saying it, okay? Y'all will get that later. Y'all aren't awake yet. Y'all need another cup of coffee. But hey, let me say this. It'll be on the screens. Y'all can read it out loud. But like I said, you don't have to. Um, But here's the power. There is this kind of power to it. When we are affirming the creed, what's so cool is we are affirming these pillars of our faith while at the same time denying the things that this world promotes as the gospel per se, a fake gospel. And so we're saying this is what we believe. This is it. This is the truth while um, also denying the things that our world tries to tell us as true. So let me read this without further ado. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again, to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Now, you might see, if you are kinda new, we don't normally do this, okay? But you see really kinda two controversial things that stick out, one, uh, in the original, Creed it says that Jesus descended to hell. Now I'm not sure Wayne totally got into this because I'm a lot more theological than he is. Um, But (laughs) just kidding. Um, Like he has like seven degrees. It's like crazy. All right. But we do not believe that Jesus actually descended into hell. Now if you take that in a modern, it's actually more that he descended to the dead, meaning that when Jesus died, he literally died. He did not go to hell. He literally was dead. He was in a grave for three days, so he was in the realm of the dead, not Hades as we usually refer to. It's more of Sheol, or um, I'm sorry, Sheol or Hades, not Gehenna. As we, Gehenna is kind of this Greek term that says, "Hey, like the place of torment." That's not what the creed is saying. So more modern translations say the place of the dead. Then the Holy Catholic Church. What we're talking about there, because I kind of heard it lull, because you're like, "I'm not, I can't, I can't say that." Okay, I just cannot say Catholic Church. All right, because some translations say Christian church, and what it means, the word Catholic there is actually universal, that as a group of believers, this is what we're saying, and so not in Catholic, denominationally speaking, um, but anyway, so that's that. But what we're going to hit on today is, on the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, in the Gospels, at the end of each Gospel, what we see is this incredible event of the resurrection of Jesus. And I love this beautiful picture because what we see is the women going to the tomb of Jesus. And there are angels there. And one of the angels says probably one of the most fascinating questions of all of Scripture. It says, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead. Now we usually kind of read this during Easter. I made a mistake and said Christmas last service. You can see where my mind is. But what we see is that the women come to the grave and they're like, okay. And the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now the sarcastic side of me was uh, as the women approach with spices and different herbs, because we, you know, they didn't have the uh, embalming process that we do. So the stench and the decay of a body happens very, very quickly. They're coming to the grave to help that process. And so they're fully expecting Jesus. They saw him get buried into this tomb and the stone rolled in place and the guards. They know Jesus is dead, dead. And so the sarcastic side of me in a response to an angel saying, why are you living amongst the dead? I'd be like, we're not. We're looking for the dead. That's why we brought spices, Okay. Now, I don't know if that's how you really should talk to an angel. I'm not really sure. I've never had that conversation. But, um, but they show up and they ask, why are you li- uh, looking for the living amongst the dead? And then they say, he is not here. He is risen. Now, everything that we've talked about in the weeks prior to this week are, have been great things. They are theologically important. Don't get me wrong. But they all hinge on the resurrection of Jesus. They all hinge on this theological truth that even the apostle Paul, he says, in Christ, if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. So think about this. Without the resurrection, we have a guy who taught some good things, did some good works, and died a brutal death from the Roman Empire on a cross, and he's dead. He's just another guy who died a brutal death. And that would put, put him in line with a lot of other world religions that he was a good prophet, whatever, messenger of God, did some good things, and that's about it. But in the Christian faith, we take it a step further because what we see in Scripture is the resurrection that takes place. Now, I'm just throwing this out there because I don't want to beat around the bush, but we have to understand this, and we could talk about it later. But without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no salvation, Without the resurrection, there is no saving you from your sins. There is no um, eternal body healing. There is no, hey, here's a promise and here's a hope that when you die, you would spend eternity in heaven. There would be no hope. There would be no purpose. There would be no salvation. That if there is no resurrection, Jesus, once again, was just a guy who died, who did some good things. And we applaud that, but it's it. And so what we have to see as believers, if you are a believer, that this wasn't just another man, that being fully God and fully man comes together and that Jesus does these amazing things. And what has creeped in, where we're going to be at this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll also be on the screen. But the Apostle Paul started all these different churches and he started some churches in Corinth, and what has happened is actually in the church in the well, actually in the society is this talk that has creeped into the church, that Jesus really did not come back to life, that he was dead, dead, and it's all fake, it's all theory. And so Paul, being one who actually saw Jesus, remember this was his encounter on the road to, to Emma, you know, Emmaus, that he uh, Damascus that he went and saw Jesus Jesus made him blind. He actually joined the disciples and started this gospel movement. Could you imagine the disciples see Paul, this, this Christian killer, and it's like, what in the world? And so he saw Jesus, and so now he's writing this letter to the church saying, everything that you hear from the outside is not true. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the gospel. Now think about this. At the time, there was no gospel. There wasn't a gospel of, of Matthew and a gospel of Mark. There, that didn't exist. And they wrote this, the gospel, meaning good news, because of what they experienced through the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Are you following me? And so they write this story. to be like, man, this is amazing. we got to write this down. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so, what we see is that Paul is reiterating to the church of Corinth, really kind of confronting this falsehood that's creeping in to the church that Jesus really didn't die. So, if you're following along, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. Listen to Paul's words. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So, what Paul is saying here, he's like, This is a top priority. This is the first thing that you should know and to hear. I've experienced it, and you need to know this at the top of everything. And then he presents really what we know as the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, when they say fallen asleep, they're dead, okay? They're not on their lazy boy because some boring college football game, all right? They didn't fall asleep, they're dead. He said, some of these witnesses are still alive, but some, some have passed. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. So if you're taking notes, here's kind of the first thing we're going to kind of look at. This is what Jesus did, what Jesus did. And it's really twofold from both the creed and what Paul is talking about here, that he came back to life, he was resurrected, and then he ascended. All right, so here's kind of two huge things. Let's talk about the resurrection for a second. We know that throughout scripture and what Paul is saying because of eyewitnesses that Jesus conquered death. On that third day, he rose from the grave. Now, as you can imagine that I've never seen someone come back to life. Have you? No. Okay. If you raise your hand, I was going to be worried. Okay. But I've never seen someone come back to life. And so you can imagine as the disciples are beginning to tell this, people are like, you crazy, man. Like, that's not right. So over time, there's been all of these different theories to try to reason what actually happened with Jesus' body. Did he really resurrect? And so I just kind of, just for educational um, and really kind of apologetical means, uh, for you to understand some of these theories. Now, one, now this isn't really a popular theory, but it is, I just want to kind of um, announce it, is that some people, and it's kind of two in one, that they believe that it wasn't really Jesus, that it was kind of a mistaken identity or that he had a twin, like there was like a stunt devil, okay? Now, I think this is kind of crazy because wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall that if you had a twin, I don't know if anybody's a twin in here, but like that conversation, it's like, hey, one of us is going to have to be crucified, all right? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot, you know? Like, what do you do there? And then if if it was a mistaken identity, I would like to think, being a parent, that if Mary sees her son Jesus, who is like everything to her. Remember, an angel cam, came and said, hey, you're going you're gonna to conceive a son from the Holy Spirit, and he's going to save the world of his sins, uh, of their sins. You would think Mary would know what Jesus looks like, <laughs> you know? And so the mistaken identity thing, this is so far-fetched and out there. But, I, you know, for, for kicks and giggles, that's where it is, okay? So another one is what's called the stolen body theory. Some believe that the disciples actually in some co-operation co- you know, went and stole the body of Jesus. Now, let me tell you why this doesn't make sense. The disciples, and you see this throughout scripture, they're cowards. They, they are like, they, they're like dumb fishermen, you know? Like, there's like, huh? All right, <laughs> you know? They're like, Jesus tells them something like, we don't understand, all right? And, and so he's walking through all this. Now, so now, how all of a sudden do they think like the disciples, like, at, at nighttime, they're like, hey, let's, let's get all this courage and bravery. Let's go steal Jesus' body, you know? Like, you're going to roll somebody's house when you're in high school, you know? Like, let's go do it. And so they go, and miraculously, they, steal, they ro- roll the stone away. They get past the guards. I don't know if they, you know, Chuck them or whatever. And then they get in there. They grab his body and steal it. And now they can say, oh, he's, he's alive, and we're going to make it all up. Now, let me, that just seems really far-fetched. Plus, we see in the scripture accounts that Jesus, when they go to the grave, his linens that he was wrapped in were still there, right? Now, I've watched, don't think, don't judge me. I've watched enough datelines and forensic files, okay? If I'm going to steal a body, I'm just going to take it and go. I'm not going to undress it, okay? Be like, you know what, let's take his clothes off right now. Let's just take the body's clothes off and let's take the body and it'll look like a, you know, that doesn't seem right. And so that's the stolen body. Now, here's probably the most popular one is the swoon theory. This is the belief that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. That from his pain and the suffering, he actually just passed out. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of pain where you've passed out. My wife had blood drawn in the hospital. I passed out, hit my head on the door. Y'all remember that story about a year ago. Had stitches because I'm a sissy. All right, But this would say Jesus really didn't die. That he just passed out and they buried him into the tomb. And the coldness of the tomb and the rocks, the humidity or moisture of the air that it resuscitated Jesus, and now all of a sudden he can move the, the stone away and Chuck Norris guards and go visit everybody and then just ride off in the, horse, uh, the sunset, you know, on a horse or something like that. So it just seems like what in the world, and then last but not, not least is what would be called the wrong tomb theory. Some people think that the women that day, they went to the wrong tomb. That seems crazy to me too because it's Jesus. He's like a celebrity at this point, Right? Plus, he was a nomad, he didn't have a lot of money, so they had to, I say borrow, but they had to use a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And, and so people knew, they, like they knew. And if he's claiming he's coming back from the dead, don't you think people are gonna be paying attention to where it is? I mean, if we know where Elvis is buried, we're gonna, people are gonna know where Jesus is buried, right? And so they knew, and Paul is saying, hey, listen, what happened is he really did resurrect He really did come back to life. And he says, hey, listen, all these different things. He tells that Christ died according to the Scripture, um, and he was raised from the dead according to the Scripture. He points to the Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament at the time. He says, all these thousands of passages that you see in the Old Testament documents pointed to this Messiah, and what they said was going to happen, happened. And if you don't believe me, and on top of the scriptures actually telling it, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12 disciples. That's always funny because they're locked up in a room, and he shows up and he's like, peace be to you, <laughs> you know? I'm like, I would freak out, right? And so, and so he shows up to them. He shows up to 500 people at one time, Paul says. And so think about this. 500 people wouldn't just make this up. If there's 500 people at, at, um, at, you know, as a jury, at a, at a, you know, court hearing, you're guilty. If there's 500 eyewitnesses, you're guilty. Then on top of that, this is the kicker for me. He shows up to James. James is his half-brother. And we see in Scripture, his half-brother, when Jesus was living, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, what would you have to do to convince your brother you're God, you know? And so what we see is not until the resurrection happens and he visits James and James is like, man, I believe. And James becomes a leader of the church of Jerusalem and he actually dies because of his faith in that. So think about this, all this. And then Paul very finally says, this is what Jesus did. You wanna know why? Because at the very least of these, you know, he says to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Man, what a personal moment for Paul. Paul. He says, I'm not just talking about what people are talking about. I'm telling you, church, what I experienced. I saw Jesus for myself. And I'm doing what I'm doing because of Jesus. We see that all throughout his gospels uh, or through his letters and, and everything that he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. This is what has happened. So then... What we see at the end of the Gospels is that Jesus then ascends. So what he did was he resurrected and then he ascended. Now here's what the, what's so awesome about this. So the ascension of Jesus, not only did he conquer the grave, but as he, as he ascends to heaven and goes, this really shows and cements the fact that he is God. He is sitting at the right hand of our Father. He's sitting at the right hand of God. So if you're taking notes, write this. Christ's ascension affirms Jesus's authority. It really shows that he's God and it affirms his his power. Jesus is on the throne. He is king. He is sovereign. He is in control. He does desire for a relationship with us. But sitting at the right hand of God... There he is in all power and, and glory. And you can see, Paul says this at the church, uh, to the church of Philippians in Philippians chapter three, that all things are subject to Jesus. Some translations say all things are underneath his feet. Some translations say that everything is subdued to him. Some translations say everything is under his control. So he is sovereign because he conquered death and then ascended. Now here's the beauty of the ascension. The ascension actually completes the cycle of what is big theological term, justification, meaning this, that because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are justified for our sins, meaning he paid, the, he paid the price, paid the debt, died in our place. Now it comes full circle as Jesus ascends. He is now at the right hand of the Father, completing that cycle, paving the way for you and me to spend eternity in heaven. Does that make sense? that he's paving that way. So that brings me to my second point this morning, what Jesus is doing. So as he's seated at the right hand of God, marking really the resting place for God's people, he, it's, it's the place, he's paving the way for you and I to one day be in full communion with him face to face. Now I played football in high school and I was a running back. Uh, that might surprise you All right. But I was a running back. I was um, actually more of a fullback than the really fast guys. And most football teams don't usually use the fullback position now. But my job, if I didn't have the ball, was to make a hole for the guy that's coming behind me. All right you with me, ladies, okay? So some of you are like, yeah, I like football. Why are you insulting me that way? So we'd be there, hike the ball. I would run, and I would just jack somebody up, okay? And I would just get them out of the way for the running back to come into a hole. Now, in the same way, think about this. Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father paved the way for you and I to have and spend eternity with him. It completed that cycle that you and I, at the end of this life, We will become face to face with our Father and with Jesus by his side and be able to worship in full communion with him. He paved that way. Without the ascension, there is no way. There's a reason that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That there is this way that he said, when you die, now you can hope. When you die, you can be reassured. If you are a believer and you understand and come to faith that I died for your sins, according to the scriptures. I was raised from from the dead, according to the scriptures. Now I'm ascending to God. I'm paving the way for you to go to God because he desires a relationship with you. There's power in that. Ephesians, Paul once again says this in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's our sin, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So think about this. Though as Christians we endure suffering and persecution and the effects of sin, Jesus paved that way. That we can have hope. That when the rest of the world is going through troubles, I'm not saying they're not easy or they're not difficult. But what I am saying is that we can look at it and have a different perspective to say, man, my hope is in so much more and in so much of a greater person because Jesus paved the way. It's not based upon me. And so we see this beauty of the ascension. And to us, knowing that God is in control and sovereign, man, this should provide a hope that both leads to worship and gratitude. That when we sing and we worship, it's because Jesus paved the way. The resurrection gave us salvation. The ascension showed that Jesus is in control, that he is powerful. And here's the third thing I want to close with this morning, what Jesus will do. Now, this could be open for debate, and I don't want to go down a rabbit trail because there are a lot of different opinions in the room. But as the creed states that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, let me put this in perspective. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus. Now, we know the first coming of Jesus, Jesus came as a humble servant, meek and mild and uh, infant, you know. And he came and he served and he gave his life and he taught good things. But when Jesus comes back because of his position uh, at being at the right hand of God, he's coming back with authority. And he's coming back claiming victory as king. And as powerful, he's coming back to say, you know what, I am gonna judge the living and the dead. And there's all kind of different um, positions on post-millennial, pre-millennial, all these different things, rapture, non-rapture, all that kind of stuff. I'll let you figure that out for yourself. If you wanna go grab coffee, we can talk about it. But here's what I do know. At the end of the day, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna judge the living and the dead. And it's not gonna be some, you know, okay, okay, there's there's some gray area here it's either you know him or you don't. And for you and I, he extends that invitation, not for us to wait until a new kingdom, not for us to wait till a new earth. He extends that invitation to us right now for us to know him. And I wrote these two, two things down. I think this is so true. That Christianity is not a new approach to good morality. or not, It's not a, let me turn over a new leaf or, Reform to get a better life. Here's what Christianity does through the work of Christ. One, it humbles you. The work of Christ will humble you because it shows us and confronts us with you cannot do it on your own. You can't get to heaven on your own. You can't do it. It shows that we are, need to be dependent on Jesus. We need a savior. We need his grace. The second thing that the work of Christ shows us is that he wants to save you that he's inviting us into this relationship known as salvation, that Jesus did what you and I cannot do. Paul, once again, later in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Man, what an invitation to receive the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's because he conquered death. He ascended to his father and paved the way for you and I to not just one day spend eternity with him, but to live and have life and have it to the full right now. And how do you trust him? Is he king of your life? Does he reign on the throne? Or are you like, no, it's my kingdom. And I'm just gonna sprinkle him in every now and then. Man, God wants to be king of your life he, he wants to be in control, not in a robotic type sense, but he wants you to know who he is and to tap in to his grace and to his forgiveness and his sustainability to get us through this thing called life. And if you don't have a relationship with him this morning, I invite you to be a part of this incredible invitation to accept that gift. Let's pray together. Father, it is such an incredible, incredible gift that many of us, myself included, take for granted all the time. We wake up, hit the rat race of school and work and life and sports and everything else that oftentimes we are so busy that we totally miss the entire purpose of life. God, oftentimes, because of that, we try to pinpoint it to different things and try to say, well, maybe I just need to make more money. Maybe if I just, my kids would behave a little bit better. Maybe if I changed my jobs, removed this house or whatever the case may be, we kind of try to start to name things. But Father, at the end of the day, you're the only one that will provide and sustain that hole that's missing. And it's all because of your resurrection. You said throughout the gospels, I am the resurrection and the life. And Father, when we're not having life and experiencing life, it's because we're taking that for granted. So Father, I pray for the, the individual that's here this morning that has never given their life to you. Maybe they've had doubts about the resurrection, but now you've made clear to them, this is something I need to give my life to. And For the person that is, for many of us that is taken for granted, God, that we would just lean in a little extra this morning. And as we worship, say, you know what? I would not be here if it wasn't for the resurrection of Christ. Someone might need to take a step in baptism for next Sunday to say, you know what? I want the world to know that Jesus has transformed my life. There is good news. Father, we're thankful for that news. Thank you. And we worship now. It's in your son's name. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship an incredible God that is alive and well today.